Martin Luther wrote in the foreword to a symphony in 1538. He said, next to the Word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. Music controls our thoughts, minds, hearts, and spirits. The precious gift of music has been given to man alone that he might remind himself that God has created man for the purpose of praising God. A person who does not regard music as a marvelous creation of God must be a clodhopper indeed and does not deserve to be called a human being. Now those are pretty strong words, aren't they? But music for Luther was a powerful proclamation of the good news. You know, many will visit our worship services for the first time and they'll look around, some of your friends who come and visit with you, and they'll say, where's your music? Why don't you have music? And what they have in mind is instrumental music, don't they? But music involves more. Music is vocal or instrumental sounds having rhythm, melody, or harmony. We'll be talking about that tonight and the next few nights, Lord willing. But vocal music is made with a human vocal system created in man by God. It's a system that's capable of speaking and singing. And I think we realize, too, that the abilities of people varies as far as those that sing maybe better than others. And sometimes we start thinking about that. We think, well, I just don't have the voice like I used to have, or I never had one. But I want to encourage you, though, to look at it more than just singing this morning in our lesson. See, the voice is the real thing. When you think about instruments, they were really invented for the purpose of sounding like the human voice. Some of you that were in band and uh, growing up, maybe you're in band even now, there are instruments that you're, you've played or you're playing that sound in the range of a soprano voice or alto or tenor or bass. But the voice is the real thing. Mechanical instruments imitate the human voice. But what we need to keep in mind is that God and the Lord commanded His people to worship Him with music. In Psalm 30 and verse 4, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. I'd like for us to begin singing one verse of God is love.
Under the law of Moses, Israel was to accompany their songs with instruments of music as they offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar in the temple. We find in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 25 through 28, the assembly worshiped, the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. Now this is under the old law. I'd like for you to notice, I've, I've put down 1 Chronicles 15, and if you want to turn there, I'd like to read a few verses from 1 Chronicles 15 in regards to what was going on back during this time, during this period. 1 Chronicles 15, and looking at verse 16. 1 Chronicles 15 and verse 16. Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals by raising the voice with resounding joy. And then we drop down to verse 22. Here's a man by the name of Kenaniah. Kenaniah, leader of the Levites, was instructor in charge of the music because he was skillful. Then we drop down to about verse 27. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who bore the ark, the singers, and Kenaniah, the music master with the singers. So they had someone that they turned to to help them with their music named Kenaniah. This, again, was under the law of Moses. But in the New Testament times in which we live today, we find in Ephesians 5 verse 19, for example, to sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. We are commanded to offer God vocal music as we find recorded here. But when reference is made to singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, God said that the instrument is the heart. Have you thought about that? So what is the heart of man? The heart of man involves his ability to think, reason, understand, and believe. and also involves his ability to trust, hope, love, and rejoice. The heart of man. We're not talking about what's right here, the blood pumping vessel in our bodies. We're talking about what's up here. And when you think about that being the instrument, God said that the instrument is the heart. That's an instrument for everybody. I, I was doing this lesson years ago in, in Florida. I, I was thinking about when I was with uh, Shannon over in Georgia years ago. Might have made this comment. I remember you had a guy there that was in his 80s that was struggling a little bit with, I think, with singing. And I, I say struggling, not that he was having trouble singing, just didn't want to sing. But I ran into another man in his 80s in Florida who came up to me afterwards. He said, you know, I have been sitting there for years in the pulpit, not singing, not even trying to sing, but just listening because I don't have a, a voice. And so I, I just listen to people around me. But he said, and here's a man at 82 or 83 years old saying, but from now on, I'm going to be involved because I realize from what we're studying here, that the instrument is the heart. Talk about what's up here. Our thinking, our, the intellect. And so I just want to encourage you all to keep that in mind. It's an instrument for everyone, and every child of God 
should sing and strike the strings of his own heart. And I'll talk more about that in the next few days. How important it is that we tune the heart. Not so much tuning the voice, but that we tune up our heart. And that will come out more as we continue. So often we'll turn to Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19 when people will ask us, well, what are you saying? We'll, we'll go over here to Colossians 3 and that we're to sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord and we're to sing and make melody in our heart to the Lord, Ephesians 5 and 19. But I think to better understand the importance of what we're doing is we need to look at the context of these two in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. And I believe when we study this this morning, what time we have remaining, that we can answer, or not we, but the text can answer these questions. Who sings? And to whom? And when? I sure hope these are the right slides because I was going over my lesson in the hotel this morning. I, they, they didn't appear this way. <laughs> but... But we'll see if there's, well, I shouldn't even brought that up. Okay. Uh, I said, just go on like everything's just normal. But something looks different on my slides. But, and I don't think the guys up there messed with them because I gave them to them this morning. So they didn't have time to do that. But the questions that we're looking at here, who sings, to whom do they sing, when do they sing, why do they sing, and what and how. So let's look at that and look at the answers to these questions. First of all, who sings? Well, from Proverbs 29, I know this, that the righteous sings and rejoices. The righteous are those that are right with God, that are in a relationship with God. And when we go to Colossians 3 and we read of those who were to sing with grace in their hearts to God, they are referred to, as Paul is writing to them, as the elect of God and who are called in one body. Obviously, these people were those who were right before God. They had obeyed God's will. When we look over in Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. These are those in a relationship with the Father, Heavenly Father. They are among the righteous. Singing praises to God is an old practice among God's people. It's been going on for a long, long time. Long before the church was established. We can go back and read the accounts of the Old Testament where God's righteous people were called to sing songs of victory. And some were even singing lamentations of defeat. Songs of defeat. Moses, for example, leading Israel out of bondage, crossing the Red Sea. They were singing as we read and have recorded in Exodus 15. We also find David, a man after God's own heart, who wrote many of the Psalms. David wrote, I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you among the nations. Psalm 108, verse 3. Jesus and the apostles that night in the upper room when the Lord's Supper was instituted, at the conclusion of that assembly, we read when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Another two people that I think about in Acts 16 is Paul and Silas, who were accused, uh, falsely accused and beaten with many stripes, thrown into prison. They weren't complaining while they were in prison. They were praying and singing hymns to God. 
to what they were doing. And we find that recorded in the Scriptures. Who sings? The righteous do. Those that say, I believe that I'm right with God. I'm in a relationship with God, and I'm going to sing. I'm going to give it my best shot. I'm going to give God the best that I've got because I'm doing it because of Him. And so we come to the next question. To whom? To whom do the righteous sing? We're going back to our Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, to the Lord. That's, that's to whom we sing to the Lord. Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing hymns that night to God. And I've thought about this too. You know, we read of the conversion of that Philippian jailer. I wonder if maybe what they were doing that night might have maybe helped in converting him. Maybe. Possibility of that. When I see what we do in, our, in the assembly, we come to worship God, and there are people that are here for maybe for the first time, and what we're doing may encourage them to obey the gospel of Christ. Because why are we doing it? We're not doing it for our benefit. We're doing it because God wants us to, and we glorify Him. But we certainly benefit from it, don't we? Too often people will sing songs of praise and worship without any feeling behind what they're saying. But when we sing, it shouldn't be because the song and the lyrics and the music sound nice to me. I mean, I, I love music and always have. And I still enjoy, and I, I enjoy singing songs and listening to songs when I'm around other people as well. But we, we are here to glorify God because we're not the audience. God is the audience. We sing to Him. And when I sing, O Zion, Zion, I long thy gates to see, when those words should be sung directly and wholeheartedly to the Lord. Why? Because He wants to see that we truly believe that. And we're saying that and that we mean it and want to be with Him someday. And He knows that. God desires His children to give full devotion and allegiance to Him. Does that mean because he has some egotistical need that can only be satisfied by human devotion and praise? No. He is creator of heaven and earth and all things therein. He is worthy of praise. In Psalm 95, verse 1 through 3, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. He is worthy of praise.
So let me go back. Who sings? The righteous do. To whom? To the Lord. But when? Anytime. You know why? Because God loves singing. He loves to hear one, two, three, three hundred, three thousand. He loves singing. And I am so thankful for that. It's not limited just to the meeting place as we come together here on the first day of the week. I believe that daily private singing is a way that we can communicate a thankful heart to God. And our children and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren need to see that in us. That we want to thank God and to show our gratitude to Him. And we can do that through our singing. We can do it through prayer. We do it through our songs that we sing. It's believed that James 5.13 is of individual application. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. And you can do that when you're out on the lake fishing. My dad and I, we weren't very good at fishing, but we'd be out on the lake and we'd start singing. Maybe that's why we weren't catching anything. <laughs> but we enjoyed doing that together. And I, some of the fondest memories I have of growing up we're traveling down the highway, and my dad would be driving my mother up in the front seat, and my brother and I and my sister in the middle in the back seat. Of course, back then, those cars were big. Had a lot of room in the back, but still, we were always in each other's space. But my dad would say, all right, kids, get the song books out. They were under the seat. And we'd get those books out. He had his book on the steering wheel. Just driving down the highway singing. And you know what? We seemed to survive. <laughs> and there wasn't a seatbelt in the car. They didn't put them in the cars back then. But we made it through it. But fond memories of that. But again, I think about when we come together as a congregation in a worship assembly, since the very first Pentecost following the resurrection of Jesus, Christians have come together for the purpose of worshiping their Creator. And their attitude toward worshiping God together has been stated by the psalmist. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And when we go back here to the, to the text, to Colossians 3, teaching and admonishing one another, speaking to one another. And that's something that we do when we do come together. And we have done that this morning. I think it's interesting to note how often the New Testament emphasizes togetherness. Again, Psalm 34, verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And, and the song that, I don't know if you've seen this here or not, but we have come into his house. Look at Matthew 18, verse 20 underneath the title there. It says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, the Lord said, I am there in the midst of them. The presence of Jesus does not depend on the size of those who gathered, but that the gathering together is in his name.
Why? Why do the righteous sing to the Lord? And when they come together. Because God said so. Years ago when we were living in New Mexico. I was driving up into Albuquerque and I saw a billboard that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And I wrote that down, probably while I was driving, okay. Anyway, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And I got a lot of mileage out of that for several years until someone came up to me and said, Tim, that's not right. I said, what do you mean that's not right? God said it, that I believe that settles it. He said, no, God said it, that settles it. Now it's up to you whether or not you want to believe it or not. And I said, yeah, you know, you're right about that. So now I'm getting a lot of mileage out of that one. Because it's true. Because God said, do it. He said, sing. Sing. Church at Ephesus, we were told to sing and make melody in their heart to the Lord. Church at Colossae, we're told to sing with grace in your heart to the Lord. It's a direct command, as, as important as any command. And if a, if a person or a child of God refuses to teach and admonish, I don't think I've hit that hard enough in this reading. I've hit singing, 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 but you back it up a little bit, and he says, teach and admonish one another. That's what we're here to teach and admonish one another. And really when you back it up all the way to the beginning of the verse, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ take up residence in you. And and as you do that, you teach and admonish one another. And one way you do that is through singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That, That entire verse is powerful. It's got a lot to offer, doesn't it? And if we don't do what we're commanded to do, we're, we're guilty of disobedience. Singing praises and worship is an opportunity to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. He is in our midst.
What an opportunity we have of being able to come together as the righteous before God, glorifying Him. That's why we're here. That's why we are going to be working in this area. It's not about singing. It's about worship. Glorifying Him and we benefit from it and we're edified as a result of it. So let me go back. Who sings? The righteous do. To whom? To the Lord. When? Anytime. But every time we come together in a collective sense to worship Him And why? Because he commanded it. And so what do the righteous sing? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that word in means with. We are told with what type of songs we are to use. And I'm grateful for that. That we just don't pick anything that we hear off the radio or off a YouTube channel. But what we sing is our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. These songs are, are looked upon as synonyms, but there's a little bit of different meaning in each one of them. But I'm not going to get really deep into that. But let me just tell you this. Psalms are songs of praise, that praise God. And there's a lot of them that we have in our Bible There are things that we sing, the 23rd Psalm. I don't know how many arrangements there are of the Lord's my shepherd. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Have a lot of those, don't we? There are hymns that we sing. There are songs of praise and thanksgiving that maybe are addressed to others that praise God. These would be songs that we sing written by people who are uninspired but yet they're in harmony with God's Word. And that's very important, isn't it? We have been looking recently into putting some of our hymns in Spanish. But the one thing that really keeps coming back at us, let's be sure that as we are doing this, that we get it correct. Let's be sure that we get someone who knows what they're doing when it comes to putting it so that we're singing it correctly and that it's in harmony. And I'm not talking about musically. I'm talking about lyrically, that we're putting it right. And then there are our spiritual songs that include psalms and hymns, but the expression emphasizes the importance of heart motivation. So really, basically, what psalms and hymns, spiritual songs are, They're addressed to God that praise Him. They're addressed to others that that praise Him. And again, they're in harmony with the Spirit of God. So may we all be thankful for that, that we know with what type of songs to use. And then we come to the final question. How? How are we going to do this? You sing with grace in your hearts. You sing and make melody in your heart. You sing with faith. You sing with love. You sing with joy. And when I think about it, it's a violation of Bible authority to take these things away from it. You know, sometimes, let me just kind of back up on something here. Sometimes I, I hear 
and I meant to bring this out earlier in another point about when we sing, when we come together and sing and we do it together. Think of all the things we do together when we worship. We partake of the Lord's Supper together. We pray together. We give free will offerings together. We hear gospel preaching together. I've been hearing that all my life. And, and we, we learned that, we memorized that as we were growing up about the five acts of worship. What's wrong with that? You know, and I've, I've been hearing through the years that, well, I'm kind of tired of hearing it over and over again about the five acts of worship. You know what? These are things that we do together. And, and I'm reminded of what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Again, these are things that we do together. And, and I don't know how many times I hear people say, well, we're just going to have singing, so it's just singing. And I know some of you are gonna probably going to tease me about that for the rest of the week. Well, it's just singing, right? I know you're going to come up to me and tell me that. But do we ever say that about praying? It's just praying. <laughs> you know, there's just some things that seems like it gets more, that gets more reverence in our worship than singing does. But I'm going to point out something here in a minute if that slide pops up. If it pops up. And I want to share something with you. But we are to sing with grace in our hearts, with faith and love. And, and so when I think about we're not to add to or take away from God's command, we know if we were to put instrumental music in our worship, we'd be adding to the command. But what if we're not singing at all? We're taking away from the command, aren't we? We'd be just as guilty if we don't sing with the spirit and understanding and with joy and faith and love. And another thing that comes to my mind, I hear, used to hear my dad say this about 1 Corinthians 11, how many times we've read that and we've talked about if you have the wrong attitude in partaking of the Lord's Supper, you could be eating and drinking damnation to yourself. What about if you're not singing? Are you not singing with the spirit and understanding? Could you be singing damnation to yourself? Something to think about. And then I think about in Revelation 2, and I think about the church at Ephesus. And you know what? We've been reading from Ephesians 5, and what Paul told the Ephesians, brethren, to sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. But later on, we read in Revelation 2 that these brethren had left their first love. You think maybe the Lord might have picked up on that in their worship, in their singing, or lack of? Go to Revelation 3, and the church at Laodicea, who had an attitude of indifference. Because you're lukewarm and either cold or hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Think maybe the Lord might have picked that up in their worship or their attitude toward it. The heart cannot afford to be out of tune with God's will. It cannot afford to be out of tune with God's will. And here's the slide I was hoping would come up. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Paul said, and I know he's writing in regards to spiritual gifts here, and he said, I will pray with the Spirit, and I'll also pray with the understanding, 
I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. All in one verse, pray, sing. Pray, sing. And that's what Paul and Silas were doing in that Philippian prison. At midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And I'm sure it wasn't just singing. I'm sure it wasn't just praying. But what they were doing was all directed toward God. And that's what we're here to do, is to do all of this as directed toward Him. I'm done. I saw your hand come up five minutes, <laughs> five minutes remaining. I said, what if I get done early? You said, well, just quit. So, so I'm done. All right. I'm looking forward to being with all of y'all this week and, and having my wife Vicki here. It's great. And I, and I just want to close with one verse. I think one verse of we're marching to Zion. Won't we stand? And that would be the conclusion of our lesson. But be back tonight at five o'clock. And by the way, um, I'd like, if you'd like to sit in parts, like sopranos, altos, tenors, and basses. We're going to have an area right in this area. If you want to do that, if you don't, that's fine. Just, just come on in and sit where you want. But if you want to sing a part, my wife, I only bring her with me because she's an alto. <laughs> she travels with me. I just bring her voice. Is all I, and so, uh, but we're going to have the altos up in here and the basses and the sopranos and tenors. But we'll have it all arranged. You'll see it up on the slide later of where to sit. But that's what we'll do. If you want to, that's the best way to learn to sing a part. Get with somebody that knows how to sing that part. All right, let's end with this. We're marching to Zion.